Uh, so apparently we're doing Seven Deadly Sins. I thought we were going to do Fatherhood today. I think we had suggested that fatherhood would be the next topic, but then next it's week. been so long that we've forgotten Best about Best memory. That. <laughs> <laughs> you win. No, I can see it now. I think this would be really good as a you know episode t- title. The Seven Deadly Sins versus the Beatitudes. Epic showdown. Marty, would you like to continue your prayer from before? Yeah, sure. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. Oh. And she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to thy word. word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word became flesh. And dwell amongst us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mary, Mother Mother of God, God, pray pray for for us sinners now and at the hour hour of our death. death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises promises of Christ. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace Grace in our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, May by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thanks, man. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I couldn't hear what you were saying because you were praying silently. But when I first came on, you could see that your your lips were moving, and either you were talking under your breath, practicing what you were going to say, or you were praying, and I assumed it was prayer. No one's ever asked me to say the Angelus in front of them before. <laughs> no one's ever asked you to continue speaking. <laughs> I, I was just trying to do the quick maths to realise that it, it's actually midday in Perth, and so that's Tis. why you're praying the Angelus. Tis. Correct. Hmm. Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast that if it was ever made into a movie would look remarkably similar to the three amigos. While Father Dave and I sit on a horse, sculling sand, Marty's off to the side, bathing himself in sparkling water. How are you guys? Uh, thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm well. I'm doing very well. We had spoken about doing a podcast on St. Joseph, but uh, we'll timestamp that. We'll come back to it because in this episode, The Seven Deadly Sins, and then maybe in the the next episode, we'll do one on fatherhood and the wonderful St. Joseph. And maybe next time when you get the text message saying, why don't we talk about this, you should reply at something like the time when you get the message, not four days later. (laughs) Do believe it was three days. Do not bother (laughs) me with trifles. (laughs) And I do believe that I, I did reply with a phone call, having seen the, the little cloud thing pop up on my phone. And I said, yes, I'm in. I just didn't read the rest of it. <laughs> so I knew we were on. I was just uh, researching the wrong thing. You decided, where did this come from? Um, not, not, not where did the seven deadly sins come from? Where did the idea yeah, to do the podcast on this come from? Um, I, had a, uh, I had a tip from a, from a fan who I had a suggestion. I know some people whispering in my ears who listened to it and said, uh, was one of the suggestions I heard. Thanks, Bernsey. Steve? Yeah. Not that we don't want to give away full names on the show, but 
We'll just call him Mr. Burns. No, no. We'll no, call him call Steve. Him Steve. Steve. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, we're going to be looking at the seven deadly sins, but we would also like to look at the antidote. Anid- anid- oh, stuff it. What do you call it? Antidote. 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 Can we look at the anecdote? <laughs> we'll look at the antidote as well, being the Beatitudes. We don't want to just look at what's wrong. We want to look at what the, the error is. And we have touched on this before because we did an episode specifically on sin. Um, if you haven't heard that one, go back and listen to it. I, I really enjoy that little series. There's a few episodes there that I got a lot out of through those discussions, and hopefully you will too. And we did one on sin, and we're looking at most people, most, don't intentionally step out of their way to be evil or to do wrong things. We are usually aiming for something that is good. There is something good tied up in it, but through our fallen nature, through our brokenness, through jealousy, they, it can be thwarted and and entangled in such ways that we end up hurting ourselves or others or, or those around us. So look at the seven deadly sins, but we'll look at what we should actually be aiming for. So you had me at, we did an episode on sin and I really enjoyed it. Do you want me to go back over what you said? No, no, that's okay. We can, we can keep going. Down. <laughs> uh, can, we, can I fire to... Oh, well, I was going to go to Father Dave, but Marty, you were saying before we, we started that you've actually done a little bit of research yourself. I've done, I've done some research into this. I listened to the... Uh, so you're an expert now. Yep. I listened to the talk that Father Dave sent me to listen to for research. <laughs> Marty's an expert on sin. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Okay, so... What are the seven deadly sins? Now, this is a first, by the way, folks, because right now we are about to establish at the start of a podcast what we're actually going to talk about. Normally, that doesn't happen until about the 45-minute mark. <laughs> so I thought the most interesting thing I found about the seven deadly sins is that there's not really seven, and they're not, strictly speaking, deadly, and they're not necessarily sins. The seven was because some of the early lists had eight because I think pride was split up into two different angles of pride. And Deadly's a recentish kind of addition. They used to be called capital or major. And they're really more like vices or temptations that can lead to sin. So the not seven, not deadly, not sins. <laughs> you, know, you know what would have actually helped? Had you actually defined what the seven were to start with? <laughs> Well, pride's one of them. There's a there's a hint. All right, okay. So I've got on my list, I've got pride, greed, or avarice, but greed's probably easier to... Pride, greed, envy, wrath, sloth, lust, and gluttony. Well, lust itself, there are multiple sins that would come in under that as well. Mm. So can, can we assume, Father Dave, that the seven is a broad stroke? Well, so once again, they're, they're not technically sins, they are things which are going to create a multitude of other sins. So, so that that's mm. why you know we we could have an endless list of you know, naming different ways that we could sin. So, are these the seven deadly causes? Well, the seven big temptations. Yeah, yeah, or you know, vices. So, the, the origin of this goes back to Saint John Cassian, uh, who was. So, stop. Who? Saint John Cassian. Never heard of him. Exactly, and that's one of the big problems with our church. Most right, of- there you go. <laughs> right, here we go. If only exactly. we could fix that. That is the first deadly sin, is not knowing who St. John Cassian is. Most people are very familiar with saints after the time of, say, the 1100s. Mm-hmm. So Francis, 
Dominic. After TV was invented. <laughs> well, <laughs> at least getting close to the time of the printing press. But there was a huge number of very influential saints back in the early church, particularly guys like John Cassian, who were some of the early early monks, particularly in the Orthodox Church. They've, they've got a huge influence. You know, they, they sort of set, laid the foundations for the spiritual life and everything we understand. Where was he from? Um, well, he was sort of around Middle East-ish, I think. I, I'm not exactly sure where he was. He, he, he was died famous in France. for writing a book. I've just looked him up. He died in France, but he was born in Dobruja, which does not sound like France. Mm. On, I'll read further. He was famous for doing a book on uh, a lot of the Desert Fathers. He'd, he'd sort of spent a number of years traveling around, interviewing all these old monks who were living in the desert. It was kind of from that that he came up with the eight principal vices. Right. And so that's, that's really where we get this original list from. Romania. Romania. What sort St. John of year? Cassian, born in the year 360 AD in, in uh, Romania, uh, died in Gaul in France in the year 435. Mm. Rightio. He's venerated in the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Anglican Communion, the Eastern Catholic Churches, and it says here the Roman Catholic Church, but we think we just established that not enough. <laughs> There's a great neglect of a lot of the early saints. We need to know more about them. It's pretty amazing, though, that he went around actually, sorry, a bit of a side note, that he went around actually interviewing the, the monks of the time. Well, the, from what I understand, that was the claim, although modern scholars sort of question whether he just used that as a literary device to put his own thinking into somebody else's mouth so that it sounded better. I do that all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you quote somebody else, but it's actually your idea. <laughs> it's yeah. that's like something I heard the other day from someone really intelligent. Uh, it was my own <laughs> thoughts, but... Hmm. Yeah, it's like that famous okay. quote by Abraham Lincoln, never to believe every, everything you read on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, St. Cassian, his, the eight vices, gluttony, lust, greed, hubris, wrath, envy, listlessness, and boasting. Yeah. There you go. So, they're right, a so bit... it's, it's, it's very fluid here. They, <laughs> they, they change in time as to how they're going to be defined. Well, yeah. So, I think, I think later theologians sort of took this idea and then defined them slightly differently. So, for example, here's one of hubris. What I does just, hubris I just, mean? I just Googled it. <laughs> and it says it describes a personality quality of extreme or foolish pride or dangerous overconfidence. Yeah. Right. Well, not necessarily. I know, I know people like that. Do you? <laughs> but anyway, uh, back, is, back is, is this, hang, on, hang on one second. Sorry. Sorry. Before you do. That's it. Kick it along. Is, is this... <laughs> is, is this is hubris really taking that? It's putting ourselves in the position of God. There's, a, there's an overconfidence in our ability. There's a pride. There's almost a self-love that is putting ourselves in the position of God, in a sense. Yeah. Is that to the extreme level? Yeah. He he sort of talked about both pride and vainglory being on that list. So I, I, I think hubris often gets redefined as vainglory. But yeah, it's it's that. Building yourself up. I'm greater than I think I am. Vainglory is bad, is it? <laughs> yes. Right. He has at the end of the list, though, boasting. Mm. 
which you would think might be tied in together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, he has separated them. Okay, interesting. Great. Okay. Sorry. Yes, getting back. Let, let's put some order to this. You finish. You finish the introduction, Father Dave. Well, so key things, I suppose. Yeah, you know, this idea. These is almost like what I always tell people. Sorry, <laughs> I, I don't tell people enough about this. If if you think of that basic broken part of our nature, you know, when we, when we think of original sin, almost sort of fractured our nature. There is this inherent tendency towards sin. I think that's almost what they're trying to define here, like the way that that tendency to sin manifests itself. Yeah. And if we don't fight against that tendency, we're going to find ourselves being carried away down one of these seven tracks almost, if you're trying to think mm. of it that way. One or more. One or more, yes. The, the whole thing of them not necessarily being sins I, so often I've had people come to me in confession saying, oh, Father, I've, I got angry and so I didn't go to communion because I know that that's a mortal sin. And I'm like, well, hang on, not really. And they're like, oh, no, but it, it has to be a mortal sin because it's a deadly sin and therefore it's mortal and therefore I shouldn't go to communion. And so there's, there's often this real misunderstanding of what this list actually represents yeah. uh, because because anger is actually a God-given emotion. It's a... A, a right. natural response to a perceived injustice. Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple. Exactly. It's probably easier to understand with something like listlessness that we're not, we don't actually care, but yeah. there has to be a specific moment where you didn't do something. Yeah, or it's it's going to grow into something bigger and more dangerous. So you, and you can almost think of these as like seeds of sin, you know, which if you don't pull the, the, the little... The shoot you know, out little shoot out of the ground. It's going to grow into something a whole lot bigger and take over your life. That's it. Stomp it dead. Yeah. Seven times. Years ago, when I was on youth mission team in Perth, I was doing gardening work. And uh, I got this gardening job at this place in Mount Lawley. And there's two old guys. One was 79, one was 80, or 81. You know, two brothers, never been married. And they'd lived in this house since they were about 11 years old and clearly hadn't done any work on the garden since they were 11 years old. <laughs> and um, this, this, this garden was an absolute jungle. It took me like three or four days just to work my way through into the back garden because like literally the grass was above my head height. With a machete. <laughs> but at one point when I sort of cleared a path through the garden, the old guy, one of the old guys came out and told me the story about the back garden. And he was saying when they were young, the neighbor had one of these, these trees that was always dropping seeds into their garden. And their dad told them to every day go out and pull out the, the little saplings that were growing up. And so after school every day, that was their job, pull out the saplings because he was adamant. He didn't want one of these trees growing. But they had this old 44-gallon drum with a bit of dirt in the bottom. And one of these seeds fell in there and sprouted up. And they thought, oh, that, that won't grow because it's only like a few millimeters of soil. And gradually it grew bigger and bigger. And then the roots burst through the bottom of the drum and it grew bigger and bigger and then burst the drum open. And at that point, he sort of stood back and he was like, and that's the tree. And the, this tree took up three quarters of the back property. It was enormous. Oh, wow. 70 years later, it had just taken over the whole property. And I just thought that's, that's a great image of, you know, what we're talking about. Here. What can go wrong? If you don't do what your dad tells you. <laughs> yes. Well, if, if you, if you recognise the tendency to these things, then you've got to be vigilant. You've got to pull them out of your life or mm. they'll take over. 
Hmm. I'm going to throw something in here that might be slightly controversial. I don't think it is, and I'm, I'm very happy to stand by what I'm about to say. <laughs> but just in case it is. Just in case it is. No, in, the, in Australian society in the last two months, there's been a lot of discussion around consent. So I've been standing back looking at this discussion take place. They're talking about consent with two people having sex. But all I can see is this is an end result of not pulling weeds out earlier. There are so many things at that impurity, fornication level, etc., that have led to a society where that's become a grey area, and and I think and, and we see that in in those actions. And I don't mean specifically with that actual verbalization of consent. I mean everything that goes with that. As a society, we are now dealing with severe consequences as a result of just letting that entanglement take over as to what is right and wrong, what is the purpose of this, why are we here? And I remember when I went through school, there was a whole different debate going on and it, it was at the level, so we're talking about 1990s, uh, early 1990s, the debate was, should we be allow allowed to have sex outside of marriage? That was the genuine debate. Right now, that's moved now. It's a whole different debate taking place, what, what's allowed. We do see really serious consequences as a result of allowing these certain temptations to take place where, and I'm going to define it as where we look to use someone else as opposed to love the other person, or we, we want a need fulfilled. It's a slippery slope. Mm. So they're very, they have very real, we talk about these temptations that flow on into sins. We're not, we're not talking at the level of just so that we're being nice. They, they have some really serious consequences, some of these. And, and greed and jealousy, et cetera. There's a, they have a massive impact on so many people. Let's start with pride. I'm, um, I'm pretty arrogant. Does that mean, is that, does that imply that I've got pride? You, Marty, you qualified this once as saying, I'm not actually arrogant. I just know that I'm right. <laughs> There's a, there's a fine line, though, isn't there, between that pride of arrogance and a, a genuinely healthy self-esteem? Well, this is one of the difficulties because I mean, pride is now seen as being a virtue. Are we talking two different words here? Well, I, should we be talking to, to some hubris? degree? Like I think... And yet not. The spiritual tradition would always say that pride is like the taproot of the tree of sin, really. Like if... Of, of all the different types of sin in your life, it all comes back to pride. Of so all the deadly sins. If you, can, if you can kill off pride, the rest of the tree dies. You know, all the other money? sins die. Yeah. It's the root of the all evil. Well. <laughs> oh, the love. Sorry. Sorry. I qualify that. It is not money. It is the love of money. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Which back is to, different. Which is different. Geez. Thank you, Joe, Joe, Joe Coom in Adelaide, who would have been correcting that on the spot. <laughs> but it's that desire. Back to, to pride. It's the desire to become like God. You know, I, mm. I want to make myself the center of the story. When, when you talk about sort of having confidence as opposed to low self-esteem, to some degree, low self-esteem is also pride. A person mm. can manifest their pride in, you know, outrageous narcissism, but you can also have a narcissism which comes in the form of feeling like you're inferior and rejected and the whole world hates you. And there's a vain glory and a jealousy Combined. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a it's a focus on yourself. Mm. If I could quote C.S. Lewis, where he says that, oh, uh, please do, please do. <laughs> humility is not thinking less of yourself; it's thinking about yourself Lewis. less. Ah. So 
Yep. Yeah, because a lot of people think the best way to deal with pride is to walk around telling everyone how terrible you are. But that's not actually the point. Well, especially if it's not true, like if you're not terrible. Well, exactly. You know, God's God's humility is shown in the fact that he speaks the truth about who he is. Yeah. You know, he is amazing, he's awesome, he's all-powerful. That's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So mm. humility. You mentioned humility. Humility is the antidote to pride. Well, so that's probably, if you're going to look at the, the corresponding beatitude, the whole thing of poverty of spirit, that blessed I know who the, I am in my bless, weakness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah. Mm. So it's it's about being able to accept your your frailty and your nothingness and and yet the fact that you are absolutely loved by God in the midst of that. So it's it's that tension of saying, you know, really I am nothing, but I am I've got amazing dignity because the creator oh, of the world loved. loves me. Yeah. Whereas pride is almost this rebellion against my nothingness. And I constantly trying to prove to the world that I'm different to what I actually am. Before I began the walk for unity, uh, the now Archbishop Christopher Prowse asked me to please every now and then get in a car on this walk, actually break your walk up with, I said, I don't care if it's for one kilometre, just get in a car so that you can have no means of actually claiming that you walked the whole way. He said, and even if it's that you walk the entire distance and you get in the car for the last kilometre, just to, just to try it. It was almost mm-hmm. like a, a medicine that he gave me for the journey. Every now and yeah. then, where possible, yeah. get in the car. I've never once heard you speak about this journey is that you got in cars every now and again. Oh, haven't you, Marty? You didn't read my book? Because <laughs> it's looked, there. You looked at the pictures. <laughs> no, That's I don't. I don't. I don't tend to. I don't tend to vocalise that a great deal in speaking engagements. I do That's, focus on the walking bits. That's really good advice, though. Mm. Well, I think mm. it is. Yeah, because it's not going to affect the mission, but it will affect the personal the personal journey and and that temptation towards mm. sin just thinking about this we're just talking about this nothingness which is true like compared to compared to god you and i are like so insignificant like it, you can't it, you wouldn't even measure our beings on the same scale it's nothing compared to everything but at the same time, being loved and being created in the image of God and having this intrinsic value because the creator values you. And I'm just trying to think about heaven and like what God wants to do is for you to be glorified in him, a- accepting that and cooperating with, with his plan is sort of humility. But you trying to glorify yourself apart from him is is the opposite of that is is pride is that is that a fair thought mm. i yeah, wonder too marty if well, i think we often think of humility as a reduction of sorts without going into what it's reduction of but it is a mm-hmm. reduction and yet uh, the reality would be particularly if our focus is on heaven the reality is that humility is the exact opposite of a reduction it's a it's an almost an amplification of love it's the what seems like the the big stuff with that pride and that that vainglory and and being esteemed by others is a dead end and it's yeah. only through that humility that we enter that that narrow gate that lowered door mm. in order to 
actually head in the direction of the absolutely magnificent. Mm. Actually, Father Dave, have you been to the Holy Land? I have. The, the, the doors over there, a lot of the doors into the churches are like four foot high. There was something about, so you couldn't ride a horse into it or something, wasn't it? You couldn't ride a horse into it. You had to dismount the horse in order to get in there. Unless you had a very small horse. Yeah, you had a pony. A pony. <laughs> or a large dog. <laughs> Excuse me while I grab my coconuts. <laughs> yes. But there's, a, there's a lowering of self in order to enter the, the greatness. Yeah, that's right. Of God. Jesus talks about this. You know the parable of the... I don't know. I don't know if it's even a parable. He talks about if you take a, <laughs> you know that parrot, you know that, you know that, you know that parable that should have been in there that I've made up. <laughs> Jesus, I don't know which gospel you'll know, Father Dave. In at least one of the gospels, Jesus tells a story about if you're invited to a dinner party, take the lowest seat. Don't go and take the highest seat because, you know, you might get told to move down, and that's mm. embarrassing. Which always sort of thought that was like good advice, but. Compared to some of the other stuff, Jesus said, you know, maybe on the on the lower end of theology. But but I was thinking about the other day. I think it's it it's actually it's a really clear instruction. It is Jesus saying, if you humble yourself, which is accurate and true compared to him, he will raise you up. But if you if you want to raise yourself up in comparison to him in that prideful rebellion, then there's it's not just the lowest place at the table like there's there's no place at the table for you because it's his table mm. it's such and- a dangerous temptation particularly within the church as you become more formed as you get further down your faith walk whatever it might be as you come to a greater understanding of how much you are loved then comes that temptation to think of ourselves better than those who might be at the start of that journey yeah mm. it just reminded me there's a classic story of dorothy day Dorothy Day was almost like America's version of Mother Teresa back in the you know in the 1930s 1940s. So not Doris Day, not Doris, not, not yeah, Doris, no. Dorothy, not Doris. Day. Sorry, Dorothy, different um, day. Her sister, her sister. <laughs> she she'd obviously you know developed quite a reputation for her work with the poor, and the story was that this one time the bishop had come to see her. Dorothy Day was in this room with a woman who was, you know, going a bit crazy in withdrawals from alcohol and, you know, screaming and all sorts of stuff and. So as the bishop came into the room, she just motioned with her hand, you know, take a seat. And finally, when she got this woman to, to calm down, she turned to the bishop saying, oh, good morning. Which one of us did you come to visit? Mm. Basically, she, she, she mm. was not caught up in her own reputation expecting that the bishop was there to see her. You know, she was quite mm. genuinely expe- expecting that the bishop was there to see this addicted woman. Mm. But, yeah, it, it's something of that change in your heart where you're not caught up in reputation and hierarchy and all that sort of stuff. And, and that mm. vicious that vicious web of being caught up in what others think of us as opposed to simply what God thinks of us and, mm. and resting in that relationship. Mm. How do you um, cultivate humility, Father Dave? When you're pretty good at it, how do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> you're so good at it. You are the best. <laughs> I'm the greatest at humility. <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, but learning how to laugh at yourself, I think, is an important thing. Don't take yourself too seriously. Um, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a there's a great line. I think it's in First Letter Corinthians, where Saint Paul basically says, "You know, what do I have that has not been given to me?" Mm. And I remember when I first read that many years ago, I thought, 
that's that's the sort of line I need to repeat to myself daily because everything is gift. As opposed to I'm a self-made man and I love my creator. Exactly. Yeah. And I can boast about all, all the things that I've created. But yeah, like the, the only thing I've created is sin. <laughs> that's mm. that's the only thing I can genuinely call my own my own product. Everything mm. else is gift. So mm. um, it, it just puts you in that mode of humility and just knowing the truth of it. I was thinking last week about the um, the apostles and the Acts of the Apostles straight after, might have been just after Pentecost or, or something when a bunch of the apostles are scourged and by the authorities, by the by the high priest, and told to not, you know, not to preach about Jesus and stuff. And they say they can't, and they get and they get whipped. And and after there's some line that says and they they left, you know, after being beaten and and scourged, they left rejoicing that you know that they'd been able to share in the suffering of Christ, thanking God for the opportunity to be beaten unjustly. Mm. That seems like humility to me. I remember talking to a guy years ago who was, he did a lot of street evangelization and um, based on his reading of scripture, he was firmly of this idea that persecution will be our reward for doing good works. Um, Mm. Like if we're genuinely doing the will of God, people are going to rebel against that. And he told this story where he'd been out this one night doing street ministry and everyone he spoke to was so happy that he'd come to speak to them. And they were just like thanking him and giving them hope giving them the message of God. And he was actually getting really quite disturbed. He was like, I'm walking away empty-handed. I haven't had my reward yet. And so he, mm. he, pers- he just kept persevering until finally someone started abusing and swearing him. And he was like, oh, there you go. Okay, I've got my reward now. I'm going to go home. <laughs> and funnily enough, he could actually thank that person for abusing him. Yeah, yeah. But it was, it was such a, an upside-down way of thinking. But, yeah. you know, he, he'd allowed his whole view of the world to be shaped by the scriptures. I've just been reading um, Fatima in her own words by Lucia, Sister Lucia, the, one of the seers. Mm. And she talks at length about all of them, but particularly Jacinta, her little cousin, who was after the visions of Mary, was just like every opportunity to take on suffering for reparation for sins against the sacred heart and for the conversion of poor sinners and and just every day, you know, what can I not eat my lunch today? I'll give it to someone else in order to take on suffering for for, for our lady and for our Lord. It's 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 a, it's a really challenging read. Mm. <laughs> in uh, Ecclesiasticus or uh, Sirach, there's that line of if you wish to follow the Lord, prepare yourself for an ordeal. And that really, within that, I think that we have a, a significant issue within our society where Christianity has been made out almost to be a self-help if mm. you want your life to be better, if you want oh, to. Oh, that reminds me of a C.S. Lewis <laughs> quote where he says, those who pursue religion for comfort, um, well, I can't actually remember how it starts, but he says, I don't, you don't. You don't pursue. Oh, this is the port. This is the port one. The port one. You don't pursue <laughs> religion for comfort. Port will do that. In fact, anyone who is looking for comfort, I would not recommend Christianity. Christianity, <laughs> and that that we've been we have been called to pick up our cross and carry it. Hmm. Now, I'm just just aware that of the seven deadly sins, we've just spent about half an hour talking about one of them. Yeah, but that is the cardinal one of them. Okay, so pride, according to Marty, pride versus blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah, moving on to greed, selfishness. Greed's pretty common these days, isn't it? Well, yes, yeah, so it's, 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 it's the avarice, which is sort of like that desiring 
what everyone else has got or, or, or feeling like you need something more to fill your emptiness? Oh, like being a marketing professional and telling people they need this stuff. That's right. Create a need, then exploit it. Hmm. So confession, in the last week, just uh, almost I've had a really, really busy week. And what I have found myself doing in order just to wind down at the end of the day is looking at brand new motorbikes and cars. Now, the reality is, one, I can't afford it. Two, I don't need it. And yet there has been this sense almost in just looking at Now, I have in the past owned the cars or the motorbikes I was looking at, I have previously owned. Um, I just have one car these days, but I've been looking back at the new versions of what I have previously had and thinking how amazing it would be to actually have this. And there was a sense of that there is a, a genuine temptation to want to aspire for something that in no way is going to help me in my relationship with Christ or to get me to, towards heaven. And it's just creeping in in the most gentle way possible. Hmm. Hmm. I um, I don't think I get this one much. What is don't really care about stuff. I mean, which is hard to say. Like, that's because you're got rich. A, I've got a lot of stuff, but I don't like. <laughs> I drive a Hyundai, Sam, and I don't. Yeah, yeah, have, yeah. Like, I don't. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think, like all of these, they can strike you at certain times in your life. Yeah. You know, I suppose once again, if you, if you think of it like those seeds, you know, dropping yeah. into your garden and growing up as saplings, you know, most of the time you're going to be busy pulling out other deadly sins but you know just just occasionally this is going to grab you and you might think oh i really really want one of those did you see mm. the little documentary that we made the road to adolfo mm. y- yes the, the guy over in panama who was he and his family were starving they lived in the slums and during that we asked him a specific question of what brings you happiness in life and his answer was simply to to see my daughters grow, you had two, two young daughters, to see my daughters grow and to know that my family, my wife and my two children have their basic needs covered. Mm. That's what brings him happiness. And he said, and I thank God every day that we have that. Now, in a very real sense, Marty, just to affirm you on Sons of Thunder here, in the same way, that's actually what your focus is. And I think it's a, it's a big part of why that greed might not necessarily be there i know it's it's going to hook into us to each of us in some way but mm. i think that you actually you actually share that whilst you live very different lives you actually share that in common with that that focus on your family and those around you again coming back to that c.s lewis quote of thinking more of the others mm. so that and you've got that that pride one flowing into the greed and i've got port <laughs> <laughs> and lemoncello <laughs> Hmm. So the, the, the that'll, corresponding that'll beatitude. come up in greed. I'm uh, sorry, gluttony later. Sorry, the <laughs> yeah. corresponding beatitude. Probably blessed are the merciful. So in the sense that mercy is to give or to share goods with others and not expect anything ah. in return. Yeah, mercy is to give what is undeserved. Yeah, paying a debt isn't mercy, but it's justice. Yeah, but but giving what's undeserved is mercy. Hmm. For example. Jesus redeeming us when we don't deserve it. I don't know if this was you, Father Dave, but I feel like it was saying, this is a decade ago, saying justice balances the scales, but then mercy tips it in their favour. Yeah, I think I've heard that somewhere. Yeah, Might have been yourself. Could have been. I was probably quoting somebody else, more learned. C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Um, 
<laughs> I, I think it was in that talk I sent you, Marty, when when it talks about this, it, it was even this idea that the, like, like the way we deal with money, even our acts of charity can be tinged with avarice. Mm. So this mm. idea that like, I'm only going to give you money if I know you're going to use it well, you know, and I want to make sure you're not going to spend this on alcohol or whatever. Which is sort of a bit more like a contract than a gift. Well, yeah. And and, and obviously there is a, a concern that, you know, a very valid concern that, you know, things may be used badly. But but it, it almost reveals this sense of the money is mine mm. as opposed to this is a gift from God, which I'm sharing the blessing with somebody else. And not even just with money, even stuff like, can you give me a lift to work? You know, yeah, I, I can. Is that? But is that a is that a gift? I mean, I'm driving the same way. I just, I, I, mm. I can do that for you. Sure. Or is it, or is it a loan? Yeah. And when I, and when I want something, I'm going to come to you and you, you know. Yeah. Mm. Father Dave, Abraham Lincoln once said, every man has the right to do what he pleases with the fruit of his labor, so long as it in no way interferes with any other men's rights. Now, that sounds nice at the level of not creating arguments and anger, etc. But it's it's only at the justice level, that, mm. that might be your right. So Abraham Lincoln said that, but it, Jesus calls us to something much further. So, okay, fine, bring it back to justice, but then overflow in the other direction towards the others. Mm. Give to others without wanting in return. So, and store up, this is the other thing, store up, in he- store up your treasure in heaven, not here. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What's next on your list, Marty? Next on my list is envy. Oh, I wish I'd come up with that. Now, Thomas Aquinas defines envy as sorrow at another's good. I wrote that down when I was listening Sorry? to the talk. Sorry? you say that again? Sorrow at another's good. So something good happens uh, to someone else and you feel bad about it. It just seems like a really silly thing to do, but we do it. It sounds it sounds <laughs> yeah. so petty. It, it, it is so petty. <laughs> but I, I think it speaks of that sort of deep love deficit that's in every human heart. Mm. You know, it's like we are desperately trying to fill an emptiness inside of us. And so when we see somebody else who looks like they've actually been filled or they've been loved or they've been affirmed and we can find ourselves thinking... Or they've got a new car. Well, yeah, you know, whatever it is that's going to fill that emptiness and we suddenly think, oh, I wish I had that or they don't Mm. deserve that, I'm better than they are. Mm. (laughs) I have genuinely in the past, Father Dave, actually thought, oh, I wish... I wish I could embrace poverty in the same way Father Dave does. <laughs> and you have that moment of clarity afterwards going, yeah, well, and do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Ah, I don't I don't I don't want it I that don't, much. Don't, don't. No. <laughs> whereas whereas I wish I could embrace poverty to the degree that people think that I do. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> and the Academy Award goes too. Ah. Uh. Envy, it really can be of really good, noble things that we should be aspiring to. And instead of it genuinely inspiring us to imitate, mm. it just sits there as an idle envy, a jealousy. Mm. Mm. Well, jealousy is different, isn't it? Jealousy is being over sort of protective of things that you do have. And, and envy is like the same sort of idea, but for things you don't have. I don't know. Can't you be jealous of things other people have? People use those words a bit more interchangeably these days, but that's not actually what they yeah, I do. Yeah, because you're educated very well. But you know, <laughs> just saying. Because <laughs> your mum has a PhD in literature. <laughs> Righto. The, uh... <laughs> the Beatitude. 
What's the cure for envy? <laughs> well, education. <laughs> no, no, no. Based on one of the things I was reading, it was suggesting that the corresponding beatitude is blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So it was, it was sort of suggesting this idea that mourning is about sharing another person's unhappiness. So whereas envy is resenting another person's happiness, mourning is sharing another person's unhappiness. So it's, it's probably tapping into that sense of empathy. Mm, compassion. Empathy. Yeah. You know, I suppose, yeah, recognizing just the reality that mm. everyone's in the same situation that we're in. Yeah. It's a really good point. It is, isn't it? It's, I mean, these beatitudes or virtues we're talking about, they're, they're steeped in the truth. In a way, all of these vices are some level of fantasy and these virtues are different, different angles, but they're all embedded in the truth. Understanding other people and, and their situation really, as opposed to the superficial kind of someone's got a new car and I, and I want it too, you know, what, what's really going on underneath? Mm. You know, the human condition would, would show that it's not, it's not as good as it might look on Facebook. Mm. And we're tying in with the corporal and spiritual works of mercy here as well, of mourning with others, of walking mm. with them, mm. and not just burying the dead in a physical way, but paying respects to the person and, and those with them. Actually, I even mm. saw something today, diff, different tangent, sorry different angle but it was uh they were talking about resilience and we we it was they were, the person was trying sort of a secular level they were trying to say that we we shouldn't affirm someone's resilience unless we've entered into the morning first with them so obviously if someone is being resilient they have overcome something but don't stand there and affirm them for being resilient if you didn't firstly enter into what they mourned which i actually thought i don't know where the quote came from but it certainly it would appear to have come from this same uh, root material from the Beatitudes. Doesn't sound like serious. Mourn, mourn with the person. No. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're going to uh, we're going to move on to uh, deadly sin number four, wrath. Which is a, you say which that, is, sorry sorry. Could you say that again in a deeper voice? Wrath, which oh, is a wow. great word, isn't it? Like we don't use it much these days, but it's much better than. Anger or I tell you what, wrath is better than wrath. Wrath. Well, I've heard that many times. Is it wrath or wrath? What is the correct pronunciation of this? I could ask mum. Please. I'm going with wrath. Like wrath sounds awesome, but it's I mean it's not. (laughs) So what does wrath mean? It's a it's like getting towards an obsession with vengeance, isn't it? It's not just it's not just the emotion of being angry about something. Yeah, I, I think it's where anger takes over. You know, so it, oh, like Batman. <laughs> no, like me having been robbed at knife point by four guys, forgiving them, actually meeting one of the guys, having a good chat, forgiving him, and walking on. And then within a few days, starting to put myself back in the position of if I was mugged by those four guys again, what would I have done? It is amazing how good I am at kung fu in my head. And I actually got to the point, and I remember it. So I got mugged in Costa Rica. By the time I made it to Russia, we're talking close to a year later. I was, and I remember walking down the road in Russia, still in my head, going back and fighting those guys. And I was so angry that even while I was walking, there were almost involuntary flinches in my arms, as in my mind, I threw punches and was beating them up. And I'm, so I'm actually physically reacting. That sounds pretty Batman, Dark Knight. It was. It's a dark winter in Russia, and it's a dark it vice. It was. There was a. There was a wrath in I. I want justice. I want vengeance. And even though I've forgiven these guys, for some reason, it was far more 
uh, mm. far more tasty to sink my teeth into mm. getting revenge on these guys and to the point where it, it actually took over. It really took over. It's, it's an interesting image though of sinking your teeth into the sin because I think there is something in all these deadly sins that as they start to take over your life, your, de- your delight comes from the sin itself. You know, like mm. so you start to enjoy being angry and yes. forgiveness yes. is not an option because you start to enjoy it, to it and then, yeah, exactly. You get addicted to it. You, you take this on as this is how you live and then things get worse. Mm. But <laughs> well, one, of the, one of the best images of sin I ever heard, there's a, there's a book called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. I've just gone blank on the name of the author. It, it won like the Pulitzer Prize back in the 70s or something. But in that, she talks about uh, the way that Eskimos or Inuits would catch wolves. Um, it's slightly gory. So if you're squeamish at this point, block your ears or turn the volume and, off. And Dillard. Annie Dillard, that's right. Basically, they would, they would get a knife and freeze blood onto the blade of the knife and then stick the knife handle into the ice so the blade was upright. And a wolf would smell this frozen blood and come over and start licking it. Oh. But gradually it's cutting its own mouth. And so it, it gets addicted to the taste of the blood but doesn't realise that it's actually its own blood that it's become addicted to. And eventually it just kills itself in this madness that takes over it. You know, like I say, it's, it's graphic, my apologies, but um, I think it's probably one of the best images of how these deadly sins or how these sins become deadly yeah. is that you actually become addicted to the taste of that vice and you don't realise that it's consuming you, it's killing you in the process. Well, this wrath one I think is really clear like that. It's a bit like that unforgiveness idea that you taking the poison and expecting it to hurt someone else. Mm. Well, one of the saints had a vision of hell, and in that particular vision, what struck me when I read it, and I apologise for not being able to remember who the saint was that had this vision, uh, was that in hell no one hated you more than yourself. Mm. It had got. It had gone to that extreme of holding on to that anger or jealousy or greed so much, but then being so fully aware of it, but being unable to forgive ourselves, just so entangled in it, mm. and actually hating ourselves for it. Sounds horrible. A re- an utter rejection of forgiveness and love. So, what's the antidote? Come on, Sam. You should know this one off the top of your head. Well, I, I want to say forgiveness, but I know you want it in the form of blessed. Blessed are the... Are those are the poor in spirit. I've already done that one. Oh. Blessed are the cheesemakers. <laughs> blessed are the peacemakers. And my list also had blessed are the meek as well because there are nine yeah. beatitudes. There's only mm. seven deadly sins. So. Yeah. Because meekness is... Well, I, I read a thing years ago which said that you know, we always define meekness as being gentleness. But there's meant to be like a real subtlety in the actual biblical word, which is almost like a, a self-restraint, like a, an assertiveness which comes out of self-mastery, that mm. I'm, I'm in control of my emotions. And so I, I'm not just going to be a doormat for people to step over or I'm not just going to give in. Like I'm actually going to be able to speak the truth into injustice, but the fear and the anger doesn't take over me. Mm. Yeah, I heard the um the you know the knight that fights on behalf of the weak isn't necessarily gentle, but but is necessarily meek because of you know those qualities. Mm. There was a there was a priest, Father Dave, in Sydney who used to do a lot of street ministry, and he would often early hours of the morning in darkness come across a street fight, and what he'd often do 
he wouldn't step in and try and push back those who are fighting the person on the ground they're beating up. Instead, he'd get on the ground and shield that person. Mm. He'd actually cover them and everyone else would be circling around yelling at him to get off so that they could continue beating this person. So there is an incredible wow. strength, but there is a meekness mm. as mm. well. And that brings us to sloth. The three-toed sloth moves very slowly. That's not the kind of sloth we're talking about, though, either. Although those animals are named after being lazy, kind of. I like that your dog started barking when you mentioned sloth. (laughs) Maybe there's one hanging hanging around the backyard. Feed me, feed me, feed me. So, but, but sloth isn't just lazy. It's not actually laziness, is it? No. What is the difference? What's the difference between sloth and laziness? Okay, I'll tell you what I think, and then you can tell me what you think more accurate about what you think. I think sloth is really around not doing what you you should or, or need to be doing. Yeah. It's so oftentimes that can manifest as laziness. I'm just going to sit around and watch TV instead of mowing the lawn that's going out of control or the or the plant in the 44 gallon drum out the back. But it can be a lot more subtle than that. I could I could spend all my time at work, you know, supposedly providing for my family and not spend any time with them. And that also would be sloth or slothful. Mm. So and, this sounds yeah. like St. John Paul II. Freedom does not consist in doing what I want, but in doing what I ought. Yeah, which is a bit of a dirty word these days. You should. But the fact is there are things you should do and there's things you shouldn't do and there's things in between which you can do. But But if the things in between that you can do take priority over the things that you should do, then that's a problem. But it's a fascinating one because probably the biggest problem in our modern world is busyness mm. and that's sloth. Mm. You know, we're, we're not doing God's will. We're not pursuing the good or the ideal of life. We're just keeping ourselves busy. Um, and whether that's endlessly on the phone or on social media or, you know, like you say, working when you should be in relationship with people. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a bit of... That turns it upside down, doesn't it? That that you can be, that sloth can be being too busy. Well, again, well, yeah, yeah. bringing bringing it back to the truth, the 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 things most important. It might be C.S. Lewis or Chesterton or something, but you know, the things most important to a man: his prayer, his work, or his prayer is relationships and his work, or or something like that. If if they're the most important, if you were just doing that and nothing else, then you'd still be complete if if there's room once you've done that to to watch the football then that's that's great and all and i think that's where it comes into like spiritually because if we're not prioritizing prayer there's something very unjust about that considering that we are creatures created by the all-powerful god and to not to not prioritize relationship with him is is a, is sinful. It's 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 a problem. It's um it's bad for us. Yeah, there are consequences, and it's slothful. But there's all also a point where you could almost say that to not have good times of leisure mm. is potentially sinful. Mm. You know, so if you go back to the rule of Saint Benedict, Benedict makes a big thing about how in in a good healthy spiritual life there has to be downtime. There has to be time for leisure. Whereas even further back, the Ten Commandments. Yeah, the Sabbath Keep the Sabbath holy. Exactly. And you need to feast at Easter. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but there's there's very much come into sort of probably comes a bit through you know the Lutheran and the Calvinist sort of spirituality. This sense of you've got to be working all the time, mm. and 
you know, that somehow to not be working is laziness. It's not wholly dangerous. Whereas if, I think if you actually look at it, most people who blow out into really bad sin, it's because they're working too hard and they're not actually giving time to do the will of God, which involves spending time with their family, enjoying a good meal, you know, having downtime. So, so either extreme laziness or too much work, you're putting yourself in danger. You, you've got to have this balance in the middle. Yeah. So the beatitude is blessed are those who the time managers. <laughs> <laughs> well, the list I was looking at suggested those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is, uh, that is what I had on my list as well. Probably we because it's the safe source material. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you book- send this to me? <laughs> Because we didn't hear back from you on the text. Oh. <laughs> Hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does mm-hmm. that really mean? It What's means righteousness. <laughs> That's cleared it up. That's good. Right on. One of the next one. No, seriously. Righteousness. Being in right relationship with God. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Which you, you could almost substitute for truth and love. Mm. Yeah. All right. So uh, pray and be faithful to prayer. There you go. Which Marty, brings we've, us, got a, we've, got a, we've got about five minutes. Which brings us to last. Anything to say about that? It's my favourite. It's, every, it's everyone's favourite. <laughs> we did a whole episode on purity of heart, didn't we? We did. So lust objectifies people, can also idolise people, and really takes... It, it's, a, it's a fantasy land. It's, not, it's, it's not, a shortcut. It's a shortcut. It's a fantasy. It's not based in truth, and it uses people rather than loving people. Yeah, there you go. And look at there's an episode of you. And it ago. takes it takes a God-given purpose, which is extraordinary, and mm. twists it into a momentary selfish purpose, mm. last yeah. in all its various forms. So blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God, is the beatitude. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? Isn't it? It's recognizing that creation is like a street sign pointing us to the creator. We shouldn't stop at the street sign and make that our destination. Mm. We should allow our delight in the beauty and goodness of the world to keep drawing us further on to find the true destination. And I I think it's also worth just making the note again in terms of being pure in heart. That doesn't mean trying to put yourself in situations of temptation to prove how strong you are to, uh, you know, overcome it. It sort of means the opposite. Avoid situations of temptations to lust. Set up systems. If it's phones, you know, put filters on. Like, do what you have to do to arrange a life where you're not bombarded by this stuff. How extraordinarily difficult when you're in a situation where all your friends are heading out. I know, and one of the, obviously one of the sins that we have around is being drunkenness, where we actually deliberately give over control or we lose that rational control. But we're in a situation where all of our friends are heading out and putting putting ourselves into a situation where lust actually becomes front and centre uh, and to actually break that uh, or to find a way to set up mechanisms by which we're not going to put ourselves into a situation where we're, we're going to be drawn into that. So, so difficult for so many people when they're the only one in their friendship group actually struggling for that. I think so that's a fascinating... I think we need to pray for each other. It's a fascinating example because you were talking before about how a lot of these deadly sins interact with each other. The The young adults group up here in Darwin recently was watching this documentary called The Dating Project, I think it was called. And it was basically looking at the fact that for the young generation, the rules of dating have become so 
messed up and blurred that no one actually knows how to start a relationship anymore. And so the basic hence default, all these conversations about consent, etc. Well, exactly. But, and so and so the because no one actually knows how to have a proper relationship, the easiest thing is, and all, they had all these testimonies of young people saying this. The, the easiest thing is to go to a party and get drunk and see what happens, because because there are no clear ideas about what a relationship is meant to look like or what its intention is. Drunkenness becomes the way of starting a relationship. But yeah, so you're basically putting yourself in a position where your ability to choose and consent is basically gone numb and you're setting yourself up for disaster. But mm. I think like you say, like it, it is difficult for a young person trying to form a relationship in a world that has basically made drunkenness the rule. Mm. Well, that's a good, um, that's actually a really good segue to gluttony, our last, our last deadly sin, which I think is like, I don't know if an obsession with food or drink or, or maybe an idea that food or drink is is an end rather than a means if it's the most important thing to you silence so we're, we're, yeah we're sorry Marty. yeah i'm thinking <laughs> <laughs> no it's a podcast <laughs> we we interact with him apparently <laughs> yeah sorry marty I, I was thinking about it actually what i was thinking about was you'd made a comment a few podcasts ago about someone that you were talking to about fasting and they said no i can't fast i love food too much yeah mm. yeah um, we're too attached to food <laughs> yes <laughs> it's, it's strange it's, it's so different to all the others different in what way well the others don't involve food <laughs> <laughs> you can get angry at carrots <laughs> mm. It's interesting if you if you look at I suppose the correlation between gluttony and spirituality. Clearly, a lack of God is going to create an enormous emptiness which has to be filled. The mm. Roman Empire was famous for its gluttony and the fact that they had vomitoriums so that they could keep feasting longer. <laughs> <laughs> is that actually a word? Yeah, apparently it is. They have special I'm, rooms built. I'm going to ask the builder to have that in my new house. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, your house doesn't sound like some place you want to go anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like they 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 intentionally planned ways to be able to empty their stomachs so they could just keep eating because they were they were trying to fill an emptiness which could not be filled. In our modern world, it's almost in a strange sense, like like we're seeing this absolute obsession with food, like the fact that there are food channels on television like just doing 24 hours a day of food stuff. Yeah. You know, like even if people aren't eating to excess, food has very much become the God. It's become a part of people's identity. Well, yeah, but it, it also becomes a thing of control as well. Like even, even like the whole health movement, it betrays something of I don't have control over my life, so I need to be able to control what I eat. And so people who become obsessive about not eating sugar or whatever, it, it, it almost speaks to like a lack of control or an emptiness, which we're trying to, you know, get in, get in control of. Mm. In, uh, in C.S. Lewis, in his uh, Screwtape Letters, there's a great little line there where he talks about gluttony. And I, it's been years ago since I read it, but he, he, he talks about this old woman who barely eats anything, but she is so particular about what she eats and will get really angry at anyone who doesn't serve her food properly and just the way that she likes it. And in, in this dialogue between these two demons in, in the Screwtape Letters, they basically suggest they've got 
they've got it just exactly where they want it, you know, because food food has become her god, even though she barely eats anything at all. Mm. Kind of the same. Is that slub gog? Oh, something like that, yeah. But, But it's also the same way in which poor people can be obsessive about money in ways that rich people aren't. So it's not necessarily having an excess. It's just being obsessed about what you it's have. An obsession. Yeah. Even if it's a small amount. Yeah. Okay. Can I, hang on a second. I just, I, I thought oh, hold on about on. why I, why I initially said gluttony is different to the others. Can gluttony hurt another person? Our gluttony. Now, the first thing I thought of was if we are consuming all the food and someone else goes without, but that would surely fall under greed. Mm. Can gluttony affect others or is it purely our relationship with, with Christ that it's affecting? And then as a consequence, because our relationship with God is, is diminished, then there's a flow and effect into other temptations or how we treat others. Well, gluttony is very closely connected to lust. Like, like ultimately they're both turning God's creation into a God. Yeah, idol, mm-hmm. idolization. And so they're, they're going to have a huge impact on people's relationships. You know, if you if you think of how many people who have got bad relationships with alcohol, the effect that that has on their families. Yes. Mm. Yep. Good point. Smackdown. So, what's the antidote? Fasting and feasting, not at the same time. You, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the antidote, I think, really comes down to recognize what you're actually what the real hunger is, because it's not mm. a hunger of your stomach; it's a hunger of your soul. And I think worship is a key part of the solution. Like, like actually genuinely start to worship God for what you're eating and so mm. it becomes a prayer. There's also, mm. as, a, as a teenager, I, I, I still eat a lot, right? Yes, you do. Yes, yes, you do. As a teenager, I distinctly remember going back into the kitchen after dinner, after dessert, after having a bowl of cereal. And I've gone back in to grab something else and... Mum or dad turned to me and said, for goodness sake, you're not hungry, you're thirsty, have a glass of water. And I did, I think more out of fear that I'd been told I had to. I had a glass of water and I didn't feel hungry. And it's this amazing moment of, oh my goodness, I'm not hungry, I was just really thirsty. And for some reason, my brain couldn't figure that out. Yeah. But Mm. there's another step too, I think, with food in general, that there is a hunger within us. But if we are... If we're doing something that we are really, really excited about and we, are, we see how amazing it is that we're doing, we don't tend to stop and just go and reach for food. I had, one of, those, for- I had one of those recently. I was not hungry, but thinking I was hungry and I was praying. I wanted to say a rosary or something. And I was saying, oh, I might you know, go, and, go and have a look in the fridge and eat something. And I felt the Lord say, you don't need, you don't need food, you need me. Mm. And I couldn't argue with that. <laughs> It, it's a fascinating one because I, I think there's also a correlation with boredom and with loneliness. Mm. That, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can start to understand what the real hunger is, then you can take it to prayer and start dealing with it. Mm. Or start putting very practical things in place as well to help like alleviate that. Filling your fridge with mouse traps so that <laughs> it becomes a bit more painful to pick up the food. Yeah, that's it wasn't it. quite what I was thinking. That's it. That's a real what practical was... approach. Barbed oh, wire yeah. around the fridge. That'll do it. Tell you what, a, if you're in knife, Darwin. A knife upside down. I'd suggest not going to confession with Father Dave because the threats <laughs> you receive could be a tad snappy. Now, Marty, in terms of the uh, correlating the attitude. Yep. Well, you want me to say it? And the winner is? Yeah, what do you got? Well, I've got 
blessed are those persecuted for seeking righteousness and blessed are those persecuted for Christ's sake because they're the ones that are left over. <laughs> I would have thought it's more to that... To be honest, if, I think it's you're a bit being of a persecuted, stretch. <laughs> I, but no, it ties in. I think this ties in with what Father Dave and I were just talking about. If you're in that position of being persecuted for your faith, you're not sitting there saying, hang on, time out one second. Anyone got a sandwich? Could really do with some chocolate right now. <laughs> because you're focused. You're focused on the fight. And I think there's that, maybe there's a very strong link between gluttony and sloth. Mm. We're just focused on the wrong thing in this moment. Now, is that your list? That's my list. That's the end of my list. I think we can confidently say they are all intertwined in some way. Yep. It's a vicious web. So the only other thing I had to say to close was uh, Mary's little stones from Medjugorje, which I'll read out. I give you the weapons against your Goliath. Here are your little stones. Prayer with the heart, the rosary, the Eucharist, the Holy Bible, fasting, and monthly confession. Because I was looking at that and I was thinking all these Beatitudes, pretty much if you do those five things in a pretty small way, you're attacking all these vices. Monthly confession is very good for uh, destroying pride. <laughs> so are Father Dave's penances. <laughs> well, we hope you've enjoyed our podcast today on the deadly sins, or the deadly temptations, and the, the eight cardinal vices. Sometimes seven, never nine, never five. <laughs> Fifteen is right out. the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Holy Father, we thank you so much for the gift of this day and for the gift of your patience and your love. We pray, Lord, that you would please continue to call us deeper into relationship with you. We give you permission, Lord, to shine the light of your love on the vices in our life that we clutch to that stop us from seeing you. And we pray, Mother Mary, please continue to pray for us, to intercede for us. And we give all this to you, Lord God, our conversation today, and we, all our listeners, in your holy name. Well, we just pray a special blessing on all of us and those who are listening, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our Lady of Victories, pray, pray for, us. for us. Our Lady Undoer of Knots, pray for us. Saint John of Cassian. 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 Saint John Cassian. <laughs> Pray for, Pray, us. For Pray us. for us. Yeah, awesome. That was a long one. It's good. Yeah, because it took 45 minutes talking about pride. And another 45 right. minutes before we got started. <laughs> <laughs> and next we've got purity. We've got five seconds. What do you think? Good, yep, done, yep. sold. <laughs> nice. <laughs>